Well, good morning. It's good to see you here this morning. My name is Ben. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Life Fellowship. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, what we read already this morning together as Wanda read it to us. That's where we're going to be. Um, you know, I really appreciate the, what Jason said this morning. You know, as we approach the, the, the holy week of Easter, before Easter, this is something that we're doing new this year. And as we're doing these 40 days, and I hope that you've really been in, in, in reading those devotionals and, and hearing what God has to say and just singularly focusing on the cross of Jesus Christ. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but for me, my heart has been blessed and it's been touched by so many things of, of just reflecting and meditating on the reality of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And one of the things I know is that sometimes we have these moments that uh, the, the very essence or the very meaning of those moments get lost with the, just the, the, the whirlwind of life. And I don't know about you, but how many Easter's have you, you know, woken up to? And, and it's, it's about what the kids are wearing and making sure everything's ironed and making sure the dinner and the food and the brunch and, and whatever it is. And, and it's, we, we focus on all these other things, these external things with life, making sure everyone has that perfect family Easter photo, right? And then, and then we, yeah, we got to go to church as well. You see, one of the things that we want to do this, this year is that as we approach Easter, as we approach the resurrection of our, where we celebrate and remember the resurrection of Jesus, what we want to do is that, is that we are leading up to it every single day that we're, we're really thinking about it. And so that's why we have these certain events the Holy Week, Tuesday, the Stations of the Cross. I really hope that you'll come out to that. we here in, in inside our building. Uh, and then we have our Good Friday service which would be a time where, once again, we remember the event of Jesus' crucifixion. And then the Seder meal. And as, if you've been hearing the Seder meal, you're like, you might be sitting there saying, what is a Seder meal? And if you're wondering what a Seder meal is, it's simply the Passover meal. We're going to be having someone here that's a Messianic Jew who will be leading us in a traditional Passover meal, what Jews celebrate, but what they will be doing is explaining the meaning behind all of these elements of the Passover and how they point and are fulfilled in Jesus. It's an amazing experience. And so if you want to uh, experience that on a Saturday evening, please make sure you sign up this week. Uh, the other thing I want to mention before I get into the sermon is we, uh, there's, there's an amazing ministry that's going to be starting this Saturday. And uh, we have Pee Wee Soccer, Bob and Sue Weber, people in our church have had this amazing ministry. And there's something really cool that's going on right now with Pee Wee Soccer. Right now, we have over 50 children signed up for Pee Wee Soccer that, from their background, what we know, come from homes that do not believe in the gospel. 50 children. And I don't know how many children, how many families those, those represent, but this is an amazing opportunity for our church to pray for this ministry. Because what these kids are going to hear every single week is a Bible story telling them about God, telling them about Jesus. And so what I want to encourage you to do and what we're going to do right now is we're going to pray for all those families and all those children that are going to be coming on this campus this week, this Saturday, to the launch of Pee Wee Soccer. And I also want to say this, they are in need of people to help. And if you want to help out this amazing ministry that's going to be touching a lot of lives and a lot of children that do not know Jesus, please go to our guest services area right when you leave here and let Manny know or one of the workers there know and let them know that, hey, I want to help out, whether it's assistant coach. You don't have to listen. Teaching soccer to kids, you don't need to know much. All right? 
So you're like, well, I don't play soccer. It doesn't matter. If you know what a soccer ball is, that you, that's all you need. Uh, so please, 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 if, you, if God's calling you to help out in this important ministry, please sign up. We'd love for you to do that. Let's just pray right now for our service and pray for this amazing ministry that God has for us. Lord, we, we just thank you that, that um, your spirit is working and moving in our church. We thank you that you are bringing families to our campus to hear the good news of Jesus. And God, I don't know the names of every child, but you do. And you know the names of their parents, you know the names of their siblings, and you know the gospel needs that they have. And so, Lord, I just pray right now that you would work in the coaches, the, the leaders, the parents that from this church that can have a ministry in the lives of so many other families that will be here for the month of April. So, God, go before us, and I just pray that, that there would be a great harvest of fruit that we see because of your spirit working in the lives of children and parents. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. I want to, here's, here's a confession time right now. All right. How many of you at one point in your Christian journey decided to read through the Bible in a year and you started in January? Just raise your hand. How many of you have done that? Wow. Almost all of you. All right. Now, how many of you, just, just wait. Now, I said this is confession time. All right. How many of you, when you got to Leviticus, you just stopped? Raise your hands. All right. Thank you for those of you that are honest. You know, have you ever done that? You're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the Bible this year. And you're reading and there are all these fascinating stories in Genesis and Exodus. And towards the end of Exodus, it gets a little, you know, boring, I guess, a little bit. All the details of the tabernacle. And you're like, all right, I want to get to some. And then you get to Leviticus. And you're like ceremonial washings and these kinds of things. And this is unclean and this is clean. And, and you're like, what do I do with this? And, 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 and it's one of the things that about Leviticus that just, it doesn't, it's hard for us to relate to Leviticus because it's a completely different culture. But when you read through Leviticus, uh, there's, there's a section in there, chapters 11 through 15, that deal with laws pertaining to clean and unclean. Now again, in our, in, in, in our background, in our Western culture, in our American culture, we don't normally think of things as being clean and, unthink, and unclean. We don't think about touching certain things or going through certain things and I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm unclean now. And I've got to go through the ceremony to make myself clean again. We don't really think about that. Even, even people outside of the church, even in, in religious communities, we don't think like that. But it's a very real thing that the Jewish people had to live with. And clean and unclean were categories that God had developed to make his people aware of sin and the effects of sin. And so it's really important to understand, well, why were all these laws in there? And if you read through chapter 11 through 15, I mean, it's talking about, you know, dead corpses, foods you can eat, you, can't, and you should eat, you can't eat. If you eat this, this is an unclean animal, this is a clean animal. If you, if, this, if you have this kind of skin disease or this kind of rash, you're unclean. Or if you have this kind of bodily discharge, this makes you clean or unclean. And, and, and so all of these things are to remind the people of God, listen, you live in a sinful world. You live in a world tainted by sin. And so whether something happens to you personally that you do something that makes yourself clean or you touch someone that has been unclean, it's almost like the uncleanness spreads. It's all to make their minds aware of the implications of sin and how has it affected our entire lives. 
And, and sometimes we don't think about that. We think of, we think of, of sin and, and, and just, we talked about this last week, how it's our relationship with God, but really sin has an effect on us personally. And the tainting of sin can affect us, not just us, but other people. I, I like to think about it this way. Um, I don't norm, we don't eat a lot of meat in our homes, but one of the meats that we do eat uh, occasionally is chicken. And uh, if you've ever uh, gotten food poisoning in your life, uh, you know that you want to do everything possible to not get poisoned again, right? It's one of the, one of the sickest I've ever been in my entire life was food poisoning. I thought I was going to die. And so whenever we have chicken in our house and we were going to make raw and there's raw chicken, I am like one of these OCD freak out, like wipe every, I'm like, I'm spraying the chicken with bleach to make sure like there's no salmonella. But, but, but when you get that raw chicken out and the juices that are there and they get on the counter and they're, you're cutting utensils, like I am freakish about the moment something touches that raw chicken, I'm throwing it in the dishwasher. I'm, I'm spraying things down. If I touch it, I'm washing my hands because the last thing I want is the tainting of salmonella in my body. And, and, and that's, that's the way sin is, that when you touch it, it's, it's, it makes you, it, it affects us. And it affects us not just externally, but internally as well. And so they had these laws in, in Leviticus that made them feel and understand that they were unclean. And, and when you go through the section of clean and unclean, the next chapter after the section is the Day of Atonement, which is the explanation. We talked about this a little bit last week, how, how once a year the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and make a sacrifice it took to pay for the penalty of sins and to cleanse the, the people. And so it wasn't just about paying the penalty for their sins, what we talked about last week. It was to make them to be considered clean. So here's what, what I want us to think about this week, all right? So last week, we talked so much about our position changing through Jesus' death and resurrection. That our position changed from guilty to righteous, Right? We talked about how we were declared righteous before God, how we were, we, were once, you know, we were once slaves to sin, but now we are children of God. We were redeemed, so we were justified. We are redeemed. We were once objects of wrath, but because of the propitiation of his blood, we are now re recipients of his eternal blessing. But, so last week was all about our position has changed because of Jesus' blood. Well, this week... It's not about understanding our position change. It's about our condition change through the blood of Jesus Christ. Because not only has, the, the, has Jesus' death on the cross and his spilling of his blood changed our position in Christ, it changes our condition as, a, as people. It changes our condition in Christ. And so this picture of clean and unclean, though it may be unfamiliar to us, you and I still feel clean and unclean, don't we? We might not use those words, but when you and I do something wrong, when you and I rebel against God, when you and I habitually sin and do things that we shouldn't do, there's something inside of us that feels affected by sin. We've been given a wonderful gift called a conscience that God talks about in his word. And it's our conscience that feels the effects of sin, that sin makes us feel, in, in a way, one of the words that people use to describe the way they feel after they've committed sin or against people who may have committed sin against them is, I feel dirty. I feel dirty. I feel tainted. 
And, and one of the best examples of this in Scripture is Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is, is the psalm that David writes after he commits adultery with Bathsheba and after he, after he murders her husband. And after he lies and covers it up, there's a lot of sins that David commits in this process. But he is on a trajectory of rebellion against God. But God has grace and mercy towards him. And he confronts David through the prophet Nathan. And David repents and turns and, re- and comes back to God. And it's in that moment that he writes Psalm 51. And in Psalm 51, especially if you look in verses 2 and 7, there are seven times or seven words that David uses in this idea of make me clean, purge me, wash me. See, he is, he is feeling the effects of sin. And even though he knows I'm forgiven, God has declared forgiveness over him. There's something about internally he feels like, God, I just want you to wash me clean because I just feel tainted by the sin that I've committed. And maybe you're feeling like that this morning. Maybe just there's this effect of sin on your life. And and last week we talked about how, hey, listen, you are declared righteous before God and you have this declaring of of God's title position change over you. You are now a son. You're no longer a slave. You are now now recipient of his righteousness and you're a recipient of his blessing. And you, you, you know that, but then there's this internal battle that maybe you feel sometimes of, but I don't, I don't feel saved. I don't feel like a Christian. I still feel tainted by sin because of what I've done. Well, let me tell you what Jesus Christ has come to do is not just change your position, but to change your condition. Not just to, not just to restore a relationship with God the Father, but to change you internally, inside and out, to be an all new creation. That is what this passage is about. And so the author of, of Hebrews here is writing. And so, so if understanding this condition change, we first we have to do first things first. And that is this. We have to understand our defiled condition from sin. That's the first thing we've got to do. If Jesus doesn't just change our position but changes our condition, we have to understand our condition because of sin. And our sinful condition is defiled. And so in the author of Hebrews... Oh, Hebrews is an amazing book, but, but it, it really is written, Hebrews is written to an audience of Jewish believers, Jewish Christians. But here's the problem that they're facing. Many of these Jewish Christians that initially started to follow Jesus as Messiah are turning back. They're turning back to go back to Judaism, to go back to temple worship, to go back to the old laws of Moses, to go back to all the things that they, were, they knew culturally or that they're familiar with because they're under a lot of pressure. They're under a lot of attack. They're, they're being persecuted. And so what they're saying is, let's just go back to the old ways. Let's just kind of go back to the religious system we had with the old covenant and let's do those things. And what the author of Hebrews is telling them is, no, Jesus is better Jesus is a better sacrifice. He's a better priest of a better covenant. Jesus is such a, is a better option than what we had in the old covenant. Jesus is the fulfillment of all these things that you have been praying for and worshiping and, and, and looking to in the religious system, in the temple worship. Jesus fulfills. Jesus is it. 
And so he is making this argument chapter by chapter that Jesus is the one. He is the better covenant. He is the better high priest. He's the better sacrifice. And so because he's making this argument, he has to address how Jesus fulfills all those things that happen in the Old Testament. And so he's in beginning in chapter 9. We're not going to look at this uh, in detail, but in, in verse 7, he alludes to the Day of Atonement. It says, but into the second, talking about the Holy of Holies, only the high priest goes, and he, and he but once a year, but not without taking blood. And he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. So what he does is he goes into the, the tabernacle or the temple. And I want to show you some pictures this morning because about three and a half years ago, we did a series on the tabernacle. And I've got some pictures remaining from this, but I want you to see what the tabernacle was like so that you understand the, the Day of Atonement and how it went about. Because when, when the author of Hebrews is talking about this Day of Atonement or going into the holy place, I want you to, they had these pictures in their mind. Okay, so the first thing you see here is this is the tabernacle. There was an outer courtyard that, was, that had high walls, tents. So the only people that could go in that courtyard was the Levitical priesthood. It wasn't for everyone. Not everyone could, had, had access to the holy place. And so you have the altar there where they had burnt offerings. And then inside of that, that, there's a, there was, inside that tent, there was two sections inside that tent. One was the holy place, and that's the next slide. And you see the table of showbread, the altar of incense, the, the lampstand, and, and I won't go into all those things, but that's where some of these ritual uh, aspects of worship would take place. But once a year, once a year, when they would slaughter that bull and slaughter that goat, they would take blood, a bowl of blood, and they would enter into that holy of holies. Now, this was really, this was, you just didn't walk through that, that tent, that curtain. That you could just haphazardly go in there to see the Ark of the Covenant. That is supposed to represent the presence of God, the throne room of God. And at the top there of the Ark of the Covenant is called the mercy seat. And what the high priest would do is they would take the, the bowl of blood and they would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat to purify, not just to, as a payment for sin, but to purify the people from their sin. And so they would do this year after year. They would go in there with the blood of bulls and goats to sprinkle the mercy seat to atone for the sins of the people. And so what, 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 what the author of Hebrews is saying here is you no longer have to do that. Jesus, through his sacrifice, did that for us. And so what, what he says, I want you to see in verse, verse 9, okay? Verse 9. Um, in, in the second part of verse 9, it says this, according to this arrangement, understanding the, the sacrificial system, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. Now, if you have a pen or, or a pencil or a highlighter, I want you to underline that sentence. They cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. What that means is, the purification that was taking place in the Day of Atonement, there was something it could not do. It could not purify the internal heart and conscience of people. That there was, there was two types of clean. If we're talking about clean and unclean, there were two types of clean that the author here is talking about. I want you to see this again. Uh, skip down verses um, 
from 11 and 12, let's look at verses 13 and 14 again because we see these two types of clean being referenced in this passage. It says, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh. So what they did do when those sacrifices were done for the Day of Atonement, they did sanctify or purify what? The flesh, the external. But what could they not do? Or how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works? So you see this comparison, right? You see this comparison of the purification that the Day of Atonement did with the old sacrificial system to purify the flesh. But what it could not do is purify our conscience. We just read about that in verse 9. So what, what, what the author is saying here is there's two kinds of clean that we need. There is an external cleanliness, cleanness that we need. But we also need an internal cleanness, not just of our flesh, but of our conscience. There's a great way of, of understanding these two kinds of clean, and that is uh, understanding cars. Right, so when I say this car is clean, I could mean this car is clean by I've taken, it to, uh, I've taken it to a car wash, I've washed it, I've gone inside, I've thrown out all the garbage, and I've, I've vacuumed it, and the car is clean. Right? There's, a, there's a sense that your car can be clean by you washing it and vacuuming it and cleaning out all the garbage, and some of you need to do that right now, okay? Some of you got some messy cars. I, I was one of those people that like, I always just have a messy car. And, and ever since I started having kids, like there's something about my mind just switched and all of a sudden I started cleaning up my cars. But I, I, I you know, every so often, you just, there's times, especially when you have kids, you've got that minivan, you just gotta, you gotta take it to the car wash and you gotta vacuum stuff and you, there's those nooks and crannies. Just, you're like, how did this get here, right? And you gotta clean it out. But, but there's another kind of clean that refers to cars and that is this. A car can be clean or not clean depending on the title, right? Now, how many of you, when you're going to shop for a car, you go to the dealership and the car looks immaculate? It is shiny. It is beautiful. You go inside, it's got that beautiful smell. And, but, but the question you're going to ask is, is the title clean? Because it doesn't matter if the car's clean on the outside. If you're going to purchase this car, what you want to know is, is it on the inside, is there something really broken on the inside of this car? Has it been through a really massive wreck and it's, or, or it's been flooded or something that, that I'm not aware of? And all of a sudden, the, the insides of the engine and the, in, and the way it all works, like it can look great on the outside, but if the inside's broken, I don't want that car, right? See, a lot of times when it comes to our lives, we spend most of our lives cleaning the outside. I gotta look good. I got to do all the things that make me feel clean, but internally there's something inside of us, and this is what the author is saying here, that the sin has tainted not just the external, but the internal conscience of your soul. We talked about this a little bit last week. I used the illustration of my son, Jaden, when you know, he touched the VCR. You know, at one year old, he knew, you're telling me no, but I'm just telling you right now, I want to do something opposite of what you're telling me. Right? I said there's this two ways of understanding sin. This, the sin of this, the actual sins that we commit, but there's an internal problem of we are sinners and we have an inclination to do what is wrong. 
And what, what we have to understand is that kind of tainting of sin, the defiling of sin, doesn't just affect our external, but our internal as well. And so what, what the problem that we face is, is understanding both kinds of clean and understanding there's nothing you can do to make yourself clean on the inside. In fact, there's a great passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 23. And if you, if you want to turn there, I think we'll have the verses on the screen. But Matthew chapter 23, there's this passage where Jesus is confronting the, uh, the, the Pharisees. And in Matthew 23, he's, he's rebuking them. And, you know, we always love it when Jesus just hammers the Pharisees. We, lo- we love when he just throws it down and just starts yelling. And we're like, get them, right? And he says something in this passage in verses 25 and 26 of, of Matthew 23. He says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, and inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, and the outside also may be clean. What is he saying there? He's saying, you have a problem, you religious people. You try to clean the outside. You want to do everything so that people see you from the outside. And, and, and doing things from the outside might make you feel better in a moment, but there's something internally that you need to work on before the externals. It is, it is human nature for every single one of us in this room to want to look good to the people around us, to want to make sure the outside looks clean. And I, I think what's fascinating, because when I read that, and understanding what, what Jesus is talking about, or what the Hebrew, author of Hebrews is talking about here, Jesus says, first clean the inside of the cup. Well, why would Jesus say that? I believe Jesus said that because he wants them to understand they can't clean the inside of the cup. These people didn't know how much they needed Jesus. Because many times he would, he would rebuke them and say, it's not the, it's not the people who are who are well, who need a doctor, it's the people who are sick. He, he constantly was rebuking them for missing who he was because they didn't think they needed him. And when you think that you can clean up your life by doing things that you think are spiritual or religious and it makes you and yourself clean before God, it is a lie from the pit of hell. There's nothing you, you and I can do to make ourselves clean internally. We need someone to clean the inside of the cup. All of us, we need to be cleaned on the inside. So understanding how much sin has impacted us, understanding that we don't just need to be clean on the outside, we need to be clean on the inside, but you and I have a problem that we can't clean the inside. We need something bigger. We need something greater. And we, that's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus died for us. If you go back to Hebrews chapter nine, let's go back to Hebrews nine, because not only do we have to understand our defiled condition from sin, and understanding how deep the defiling goes, not just externally, but internally, and understanding that you and I can do nothing to change that condition, it is only by understanding that through the blood of Jesus Christ, we get a new condition. So number two, the second thing we've got to understand is the new condition we have through the blood of Jesus. The new condition we have through the blood of Jesus. Now here's something that maybe, I'm not sure if you ever have read or studied or know about, but there's something really just fascinating in these verses in Hebrews 9. 
Let's go back in verse 11 and see this because if we know that these, these Old Testament, the Day of Atonement, the going into the tabernacle or the temple and offering of the, the sacrifices, if that could not change our internal condition, something had to be changed so that it could be. And so that's what he says in verse 11. But when Christ appeared, you see, don't go back. When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the, of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Now, I'm not sure if you knew this, but in heaven, what we just saw on the screen, those pictures of the tabernacle, there is actually a holy place and a holy of holies in heaven. These, those representatives, that tent was merely a representation of what exists in heaven. And so when Jesus died, what it says that he actually did was what he, he took his own blood and entered into heaven with his blood and entered into the holy of holies, the real mercy seat of where God the Father sat, and he gave his blood. He gave his blood to him. Something, there was an actual event that took place in heaven, a day of atonement that was so much greater and so much bigger than the day of atonements that, that this earth has seen. Therefore, there's no longer a need for a day of atonement because the day of atonement has happened. And Jesus goes into the holy place in heaven, brings his own blood and says, God the Father, here's my blood for the purification, not just of external things, but of, inter, of, of all humanity, inside and out. It secured an eternal redemption. There's no longer, you don't have to go back to the temple. You don't have to go back to the sacrifices of, of bulls and goats. You don't have to do the things, and maybe it's not the, the blood of bulls and goats or the temple sacrifices, but you do the things in your life that are constantly saying, I've got to do, do this to make it up for God. I've sinned. I'm tainted. I'm dirty. Therefore, this is what I'm going to do. And in your own mind, it might not be sacrifices of, of bulls and goats, but there is, an, uh, there is a system you have created in your own mind. This is what I do when I sin to make it up to God. And you, you are mocking the day of atonement that Jesus Christ has, has won for you. It is Jesus and Jesus alone that makes us clean. One act, one act for all of us, for all of human history. I want you to understand how big this event was. So, so, so let's look later on in Hebrews 9, verse 24. He talks about how he entered into the real place. He, entered, uh, he has entered not into, whole, into a holy place, not made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Look at verse 25. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. So every year the day of atonement has to keep happening. You don't have to keep doing it. Because Jesus has done it once and for all. Look at verse 26. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. If you want to be clean, all you've got to do is trust in the sacrifice 
of Jesus for you. You can't make it up. You can't make yourself clean. You can't wash yourself on the inside. If, you, if, you, if you're sitting there today and you're saying, yeah, Ben, my, if I'm the car, I've got a dirty title. There's things in my past that I've done. There, there, there are, there's so many things that, that I've done to rebel against God. And what, what the enemy loves to do to us is once we have rebelled against God and we've got, we've got a rap sheet, right, before the Lord because of our sins, and what, what the enemy wants to do is wants us to make us feel, feel tainted by all of these sins. Remember when you did this? Remember how you're, this is, this is who you are. And he wants us to, to think about how we are still in a condition of unclean. And what we do is we, we play this game with God. I've got to keep doing these things to make my, myself feel clean. And what we have got to do is transform our minds to accept the reality that Jesus' sacrifice, Jesus' blood is enough. It's enough for you. I don't care what is in your past. I don't care how many years you've walked away from God or the depths of sin that you've committed against him. We talked about diminishing our sin and diminishing God's holiness last week and how that's a, there's a danger for us doing that. But when we are in Christ, when, you, when, when the blood of Jesus Christ is applied on your account, it doesn't just change your position, it changes your condition. And you go from someone who has been tainted by sin to someone whose conscience is pure. You've been purified. You are clean. You are clean in the sight of God. In fact, it says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. I want to put this, this verse on the screen, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You are a new creation in Christ. Now, let me just say this. I talked about this last week. We, we, we tend to diminish our sinfulness before God, and I, I think it's wrong when we do that. And we've got to look at our sin honestly. But there's another danger and another error that I think we as followers of Jesus can make. And the error is this. When we diminish what Jesus has accomplished for us. When all, you know, if you're a Christian, it's like, well, I'm just, I'm just a sinner. I'm just a rotten sinner. Okay? And we just, we just heap on this. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. How you doing, brother? I'm just a sinner saved by grace, brother. That's who I am. And we, what we don't do is we don't elevate the glory of Jesus Christ saying, no, I'm a saint. I'm a new creation. I am cleansed by the blood of Christ. I don't have to put titles on myself. I don't have to bear the weight of, of the scarlet letters on my chest based on my past because I'm clean. I'm clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm not sure if you've ever read that story, The Scarlet Letter. I had to read it in high school. And you know, whenever they make you read these, these classics of literature in high school, you're kind of like, oh, I gotta do this, right? And then you get to be an adult, you're like, wow, that's an awesome book. Or that's an amazing story. And, and you, you wish that you could go back and take the, high, the classes again because you really have the maturity to understand how good these things are. But, but the story of the Scarlet Letter is this, that this woman has, has become, it's, it's set in, in Puritan New England. And this woman, Hester Prynne, has committed adultery and she's pregnant. 
in, in this, it's based on, on this, the culture of those days was to shame and to label. And, and so this woman has to walk around for the rest of her life with a scarlet A representing adultery. And she asks, she, they keep pushing her to, 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 you know, you have to confess who, who is the, who's the man who did this to you and, or that you did this with. And she refuses to do it. But the whole story is eventually it comes out that the, the pastor of the village, the minister of the village was the one who had committed adultery with Hester Prynne. And, he, and he, it's, it's inside, it's burning up what he has done. Finally, towards, he confesses what he's done and, and what they find out is when they take off a shirt at the end of his life, they see an A etched on his chest. And I think, I think about that story. I, I think about what, what we tend to do is, is we, we tend to, I, I don't think God wants us to walk around with scarlet A's Scarlet S's, you know, what, you know, I've stolen. Scarlet L, I'm a liar. He doesn't want us to walk around pointing and blaming and, and shaming people. But I think sometimes most of us are like the, the minister in that story, that, that internally we, we feel, maybe no one sees the letter on our chest, but we carry it with us. And the enemy wants us to think that, that, that you, can't, you can't escape from that letter. That letter's on you. And that's all God thinks about. That's all these other people think about. When they, think, when they see you, that's what God sees. No, what God sees is the purity of the, of the life of Jesus Christ when he looks upon you. Because the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed us without splot or blemish to purify our conscience from dead work. So what Jesus has done, he has made us clean. He has made us new creations and don't get stuck in the, the, the error of beating yourself up and making yourself feel like sin has tainted me and has tainted me for the rest of my life. And that's for, therefore, that's who I am. You are not your sin. If you are under the blood of Christ, who you are, your identity is in Christ. Remember that verse, 2 Corinthians 5. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. We need to elevate who we are now in the sight of Jesus. So, so, so if there's this new condition that we have received, the, 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 the last thing we've got to do is understand this new condition on display. This new condition on display. Now, I wish we had the time to go through all the beauty of Hebrews chapter 9 and 10, but I want you to see something. Well, let's look at the last part there. So we, we see how in verse 13, he compa- verse 13 and 14, he compares what is happening between the, the redemption or for what is accomplished through the sacrifice of, of bulls and goats, how it purifies just the external, but, but what the blood of Jesus Christ does in verse 14, it purifies our conscience from dead works, and here's the last phrase, to serve the living God. So once we are considered clean, it's to propel us to live differently. Because what you and I tend to do is based on our experience in relationships, this is how you and I have learned to relate to people. And maybe it's from your parents. Maybe it's from your your spouse or relationships, your friendships. But what you have been trained to do is this. I must perform to do, I must perform good deeds to be accepted by people. I must perform to be accepted and that is, that is the, maybe that's the home you grew up in. Maybe that's the world you live in now. But, but in your experience in relationships with people, you have learned how to perform to be accepted. 
And that is not the way with God. The way with God is you are accepted, so therefore do. And I want you to see this. In, in the end of chapter uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19, uh, there's, there's three let us statements that are here that I want us to read. Three things that he's saying, uh, do this now because of this reality. Now look at verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Now, do you understand what he's saying here? He is talking to a Jewish audience. He's saying now, because of the blood of Jesus, you now have every right to enter into the holy of holies of God. It's not just for the high priest anymore. And in the culture you've grown up in, there's one person that has access through those walls and through those doors and through that curtain to get to the Holy of Holies. When Jesus died, something happened to that curtain. And all three, the three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it mentions that the moment Jesus breathed his last, the veil, the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies to the holy place, tore in two. It tore from top to bottom representing access now, not just for the high priest, but for all of us who are in Christ Jesus. So because we now have this confidence, because we are now declared righteous, and now we have been washed clean by the new and living way, verse 20, that he opened for us through the curtain that is his flesh. So Jesus now is that curtain. He is now through his flesh. We now enter into the Holy of Holies. Verse 21, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean and then from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So there's this, again, this picture of being washed clean internally, externally. Let us draw near. That's the first thing. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And then verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Now, now here's, here's the thing I want us to see here. You have to make sure you get this order right. Do you notice that? You and I, how we make the rules if man's going to create a religion, and be very careful, any religion that tries to do this, they flip the, they flip the script. They start with verse 25. First, do the good works. Then what do you do? Then, then, you know, then eventually you can draw near. No, that's not the way with Christ. The way with Christ is he has, he has shed his blood for you and for me. He has not just changed our position, being declared justified. He has changed our condition. You are now clean. Now you have the boldness and the confidence to enter into the presence of God. Draw near first. Draw near first. Listen, stop believing the lie that you must perform to be accepted by God. Stop doing it. We, even if we come up with our own rules, like I've got to do my devotions today. I've got to make sure I, I read my Bible and I pray and then, oh, then God's happy with me. It's like we're up there, you know, God's up there in heaven and be like, um, it's been 35 minutes. You've been on your phone for way too long this morning and until you do something about it, I'm waiting. Is that how God treats us? No, it says for confidence, the confidence to enter into the holy place, let us draw near. What your natural tendency, what the enemy wants you to do is make you think that you've got to clean up your act to draw near. That's not the way with Christ. 
Draw near boldly. Draw near boldly. Even if you even if you sin greatly, draw near boldly to the throne of grace. Don't think you've got to clean up your act to go before God. Jesus is the one who cleans you. It's by him we hold on to the blood of Jesus Christ. And when the blood of Jesus Christ is our claim, it's our hope that that gives us the, the, the reason to boldly enter into the throne. Don't think that you've got to perform to be accepted. It's the way of man. It's not the way of God. And so, so what we're supposed to do is these, these three things, drawing near, we've got to begin there. And then we've got to hold fast to our confession. Listen, remember your cleanness being declared clean from the inside and out, it's not, it's not you. We either, we either live in condemnation or we live in pride. If you live a life that is clean, you're, all of a sudden it starts puffing you up. And maybe you, you, you mess up and you sin, you do things that you shouldn't do, and all of a sudden you live under condemnation. Stop waffling between pride and condemnation. And what does it say? Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. My hope, and that I can boldly draw near to God, is what Christ has done for me. He's made me a new creation. It's not my acts. And then, therefore, I can do all these things. Then let us serve one another to love and good works. Then I can do these things out from love, from being accepted. That is the way of Jesus. How do you, how do you live out the Christian life? Do you live out the Christian life trying to perform so that you'll be accepted? Or do you understand how Christ has made you clean? It's only in Christ. It's only through Christ. Christ does not just change our position. He changes our condition. Have you believed it? Have you accepted it? Have you lived in it? Are you living in it? Three questions, then we're done. Number one, what have you tried to achieve? What have you tried to achieve a sense of cleanness? What, what, what have you made? What are the list of rules that you try to do to say, hey, if I do these five things, if I do these six things, if I do these, whatever it is, it might not be sacrifices of an old temple system of, of Judaism, but are you trying to do something in your life to feel clean? What's, what's, the, what's the list of rules that you've developed? We need to stop coming up with our own, our own ability to make ourselves clean. And then number two, have you believed that Jesus' blood is enough to make you clean? Have you trusted in his sacrifice? Have you trusted in his death? If you're sitting here this morning and you're not sure if you are clean before God or if you understand how Jesus can make you clean, I want to encourage you to talk to someone. Talk to someone this morning. I'll be out in the lobby. We have a prayer team out there. They've got red lanyards that would love to sit with you and talk with you how you can know for sure your relationship with God is right. How you can feel clean and know you're clean before God. And then lastly, how are you displaying your condition? How are you displaying your condition? How are you living out your faith? Are you drawing near first? Are you drawing near first? Or are you performing first so that you can draw near? You know, every once in a while, I'll have these experiences with people that, you know, they drift away from church. And they drift away from church because, you know, Oh, my life is a mess, and I've been doing this, I've been doing that. Listen, when we sin the greatest, that's when we run to church the fastest. Because we need to be reminded of this. And the enemy wants to keep you away. He wants to keep you away from community, he wants to keep you away from people, he wants to keep you away from the word of God, he wants to keep you away from teaching and the truth. 
And it's our tendency, what we've got to do is change our natural tendency to run away from God when we've sinned, to run to him. Run to him. And confess greatly because the blood of Jesus Christ covers us. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. As we, as we end our service this morning, I just want you to spend some time right now. Maybe, maybe I, want you to, I want you to lay your sense of cleanness before the Lord. And I either want you to, right now to cry out to him and say, God, this is what I need from you. This is what I need from you, God. I need cleanness from you. I need your blood on my account. Or maybe you sit there and say, God, I want to thank you for what has been accomplished in my life. Spend some moments just thanking him or crying out to him. Whatever it is that you need to do, let us hold fast the confession of our hope this morning. Oh, Jesus, I pray that we would approach you boldly and with confidence, knowing that you have secured for us an eternal redemption. Through your blood, you have purified our conscience from sin, so therefore we no longer have to carry the sense of filth, of dirtiness, of, of the weight and the tainting of sin. You have washed us clean, Jesus. And we claim that over ourselves today by your power, by your blood. We pray this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing to our Savior.